Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our guy, Wes Davenport, putting the outlines together, doing his thing. He's making moves in the Detroit Pistons content creation world as well. Join him and Jack every Thursday doing DBB Live. And Omari, we do got to update the listeners real quick. Because of some scheduling stuff in June, we will be dropping episodes in June on Wednesdays. Almost the next three weeks, Wednesdays, the Pulse will be coming out. Not on Tuesdays. We'll do a live NBA draft, a reaction. It'll come out sometime on that Friday. But just the the normal weekly episodes will be coming out on Wednesdays here for the next few weeks, Amari. It's just easier from a schedule standpoint to drop on Wednesdays over the next few weeks with some holidays and some other stuff coming up. So... Uh, we'll remind you guys again uh, it, as it comes up just to make sure we're on the same page. But just look for episodes that come out on Wednesday over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to talk about fits. We're, we've been talking about these prospects, Amari, Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks, Jairus Walker, the Thompson Twins. We've been talking about them. We brought on Richard Stamen. We've brought on Adam Spinella. We've brought on all of these guys. Now we're just going to talk about them. How do they fit with this roster? How do they fit with Cade, Ivy, Duran, Stu, everybody else? So we're going to go specifically into that. We're going to do a little bit of a mock offseason at the end, which will be a precursor to next week's episode, Amari, where we're bringing on our guy, Keith Smith, who everybody loves. That'll be a great episode. But first, something that I'm not as in tune or excited about, but I always got to ask you, see where we're at. I know the fan base is interested. What's going on with the coaching search, Amari? What kind of updates can you give the fan base? Yeah, so there is an update, uh, a developing update. It looks like the race is trending toward being a two-man race between Kevin Ali and Charles Lee. Uh, You know, they're planning to bring both of those candidates back in for follow-up interviews uh, as of we're recording this on Friday to be clear. So a few days before this comes out on Tuesday, they don't have anything scheduled with Jaron Collins right now. And that could change, but right now it looks like it's angling toward being a two man race. So I, I think we'll have somebody in before the draft. That's about three weeks from now. I think they're going to have somebody in before then. So we'll get some resolution on it. At some point, you know, hopefully in the next few weeks, and we can stop talking about it because I think we're all kind of talked out as far as the not being Bryce, just the fan base in, in general. There's only so much speculation you can do until you get a, a decision. So uh, hopefully next time we record or next two times, we'll be able to talk about something more substantive as far as that. So just to be clear, we are recording this on Friday, May 26th with the holiday weekend. This is just when we needed to record it and it will drop on Tuesday if you're not watching live right now, obviously. But if there is coaching news that breaks over the weekend or on Tuesday, maybe we'll record a special episode hop on, talk 20, 30 minutes, something like that. And then obviously in the upcoming episodes as well, as you know, Amari, like this just isn't something that I am really in tune with. Like, I just, I don't know what to think about any of these guys. I don't think we have enough intel. So I'm going to go and transition us into what we are here to talk about and what I'm a little bit more keen on talking about. And that's some of these guys at number five and their fits with the Detroit Pistons. So let's just start with Cam Whitmore, Omari. I feel like I put out a poll the other day. Whitmore won that poll pretty handedly with the Pistons fan base. I feel like this is probably the number one guy overall for the fan base. Maybe a Min Thompson. We'll talk about him in just a second. Let's just talk about Cam Whitmore's fit 
fit with this Detroit Pistons roster next to Cade, next to Ivy, next to Jalen Duran? I think what makes Whitmore maybe the most popular option for Pistons fans is because of all the players in that range. And this draft is unique given that you have a lot of players between like 6'5", six, 6'8", six, who look like primary playmakers at the next level. Whitmore is more of a traditional wing. He shot 40% on catch and shoot threes. He's an elite athlete. He kind of reminds me of Anthony Edwards, the way he's able to uh, you know, just rise above guys or just kind of go through them with his, his size and strength. And his game is just fun to watch, too. Like, I don't know how much of that kind of plays into the evaluation for, for fans, but you just look at his game, and he just really fits that uh, 3 and D wing archetype with upside that I think a lot of people – want to see from whoever the Pistons pick with that fifth overall pick, just given the needs for this roster and what Cam Whitmore could be two, three years from now. You know what wasn't fun to watch when watching Cam Whitmore is his team overall on the offensive end. And, you know, everybody makes a big deal about the assist percentage, right? And it's true. Like, I get it. I understand it. I did some data and some research. And there's some other freshmen that had low assist percentages as well. Keegan Murray was one, and then he came back his next year and doubled his assist percentage. Remember, Cam Whitmore was a freshman and one of the youngest freshmen and played on a team, Omari, who was 285th in the country in assists per made field goal. So this wasn't a team that really moved the ball well or anything like that. So he was just, there's a lot of context around his college situation i have to ask what did you think about the video i sent you the other day i was watching a full game and all of a sudden you know how i am i always like to watch the sidelines and stuff his coaches are getting so frustrated every single mistake and i think it was six clips in this one game and there were other games as well don't get me wrong what what was your initial reaction to that and kind of did that change anything for you because for me it didn't change his ceiling but it did lower his floor a little bit it changed my opinion a little bit. So the video you sent where you're just seeing his coaches kind of wince and react to the sideline whenever he makes a play outside of the flow of the offense, which happened pretty often. And we've talked about, you know, the assist rate where I think it was 0.7 assists against 1.6 turnovers, which obviously is not great. You know, I think when you see a context of his coaches reacting to some of the things he did, it sort of makes the juxtaposition of, okay, on one hand, it seemed to move the ball very well in general, uh, but you're Cam Whitmore, you're highly recruited, and you know you come in and you want to see him maybe solve some of the lack of playmaking. And he didn't solve it, he added to it, which speaks to just where he is as far as processing the game right now. Uh, he can make plays for himself pretty well, right? I mean, he's shot at the rim really well, he shot threes really well. Uh, just as a, an individual scorer, uh, he has a lot of the stuff you want to see as a working within the flow of the offense uh, standpoint. He really wasn't there at all. So for me, I think because he is, he will be 18 on draft night. He's one of the youngest players in the draft, and he is around the same age. Anthony Edwards, I believe he was the youngest player Anthony Edwards was in the draft when he was drafted. That makes me feel a little bit better about it. If you're 19, 20, 21 with those processing issues, it's like, okay, this is probably who he is. When you're that young, uh, I mean, he's like a year and a half younger, I think, than Brandon Miller. You can look at that trajectory, and uh, you sent me – and I'll, I'll let you get to it. You sent me some other numbers earlier this week where you look at players who had similar assist rates their freshman year, and now they were able to improve in college in years two and year three. And if Cam Whitmer were to come back, I don't think he would necessarily be that much of a black hole on offense. I think you would see him working from the flow of the offense a little bit better. But just for a Detroit standpoint, at number five, that is a red flag, right? Okay, this guy 
has a ways to go just from a playmaking standpoint. And we're going to have to really coach him hard for him to get to that next step. Yeah, I think some of the other guys were OG Ananobi. Jimmy Butler was one, I think. Jimmy Butler, yeah. although his free throw rate was insane compared yeah. to everybody. I mean, it was compared to everybody else on the list. So I think what's interesting is, is it okay, though, that you add him to a roster that has Cade Cunningham, a high-level processor, Jaden Ivey. Is it okay if you think Jalen Duran moves the ball really well? So can you have a guy like Cam Whitmore? Let, let's just say he ends up being a little below average. Obviously, if he's just awful, if the feel and the ball movement is just awful, that's a huge red flag and something you're really concerned with. But if you think he can just be a little below average, is that something you can live with with this specific roster because you feel like you have other guys who are going to move the ball well? Or like I see a lot of fans go, well, this is why they got rid of Sadiq Bey because Sadiq Bey was kind of a ball stopper and didn't keep the flow of the offense. Do you think it's actually an okay fit for him coming to a team like Detroit? It's an okay fit as long as he can be a play finisher because that's something that this team really needs is a player who can knock down catch and shoot threes, who can cut, uh, who can make plays at the rim. Uh, this team really doesn't have a lot of players who, even Jaden Ivey didn't finish at the rim as well as you would want to see. So they still need players like who aren't bigs who can get to the rim and make things happen. And Kevin Whitworth gives you all of that. I mean, he's going to be able to drive right through guys and draw fouls. I mean, we talked about the shooting. Uh, he just does a lot of stuff as an off-ball player that you want to see. And I guess the reason that I'm not as worried about his playmaking is because you don't want the ball in his hands that much anyway. Uh, you just want him to make simple reads, keep the ball moving, swing it along the perimeter, stuff like that. And then eventually you can work on just him making simple driving reads, right? Like, okay, I'm standing during underneath or you could kick it to the corner, stuff like that. He doesn't need to be um, in Thompson or Anthony Black or any of these other guys who could be point guards at the next level, right? He's a play finisher. He's making two reads maybe tops your average possession and you have Jaden Ivey you have K Darren has upside as a playmaker you have other people on the roster who can make his life easy so for Detroit specifically that doesn't worry me as much because I'm not drafting him to be like Andre Iguodala if he gets there like absolutely I mean he's got that type of athleticism but you're drafting him more so to be a guy who could finish plays at the real man from three, and he has that right now. I think it's actually a really nice fit for him because you don't need him to... And I don't think Cam Whitmore is selfish. I will tell you, the other thing watching the film closely, Amari, his teammates froze him out. Like, there were times coming off a handoff, they were just like, nope, Cam's coming, I ain't gonna give him the ball. And he had more teammates go, like, straight isolation for 15 seconds in a possession than what he did. I can show you clips of him doing what you're talking about, which is what would be required with the Pistons. Just a few other names. Like, he Keegan Murray doubled his assist percentage from his freshman to sophomore season. Jimmy Butler doubled it by his senior year. And Anobi almost doubled it. Mikel Bridges was another guy who had a very similar assist percentage his freshman season compared to Cam Whitmore. And it rose Desmond Bain, another guy. So some pretty good NBA professionals right there who had freshman season assist percentages in line with what Cam Whitmore's were. I want to ask one more question about Cam, and then we got to move on to some other guys. Defensively, Omari, do you think he's what this team needs? Because I do think he can take some of those matchups that you don't want Cade or Ivy, or if Boyan's the other starter on the wing slash forward, Cam can take a lot of those. I wish he was a little bit taller, but I think he's so strong. He can take almost any matchup you want on the perimeter. I like the defensive tools he has, and I like that 
at the very least right now, he does have a nose for the ball. Now, there's a lot of technique stuff you have to work on with him, but he was very clearly aware of like, okay, I could, you know, blow up passing lanes. I could do this and that and get up in the guys and uh, make things happen in transition, uh, which I like. But he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He doesn't have a huge wingspan. I think his wingspan is like in the neighborhood of 6'9". But he does have the tools and he has the size to match up two through four, uh, depending on the matchup. And I think he could be a plus defender in the NBA. Uh, he's not the best defensive prospect at number five. We're going to talk about some of those guys. But I think offensively, he's arguably probably the best if you just look at it strictly from a wing standpoint, right? Uh, defensively, I think you hope that he can be a plus and he's not quite there yet. But I just go back to him being 18 years old and having a lot of growth from that end. Uh, you can bring him in and you can just give him simple tasks, right? Knock down threes, cut, defend. Uh, if you can draft him and you can tell him to hone in those three things as a rookie, I think you feel pretty good. Well, and the thing is where you're not asking him to do all of that creation offensively, he should have more energy for the defensive end. It takes a lot less energy to play off the ball, attack a closeout like our guy Steve PLTA is talking about in the chat. Just attack those closeouts, straight line drive to the rim, finish, be explosive, those type of things. When you're doing all that off the ball, you have more energy to go to the defensive end. I do, my biggest concern is some of the feel stuff on the defensive end, the awareness, he misses rotations, some of those type of things. But again, young kid, like we've talked about over and over, and I don't want to get into it today. If we end up drafting him or the Pistons end up drafting him, I do want to get into it more. I have some conversation around the context there at Villanova, how his, he was coached, those type of things. Let's go to the next guy, Amin Thompson, because this is one that's really interesting. And where we have five or six guys that we're trying to decide between Amari, fit really comes into play. And I think also what comes into play, Amari, is how good do you think Jay Nivey, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Duran, those guys are? That'll come in with a couple guys we talked about in segment two. I think Cam and Amin are really the upside swings, the guys that can really blow up if things hit. But there's some floors there that like make you a little nervous. And I think your nervousness about Amin's floor is even more than mine. So you can talk to him about that a little bit. But also, do you have concerns about a fit of Amin Thompson with Jay Nivey, Cade Cunningham? Yeah, I think I have more fit concerns with Amin than anyone else who's in that range. I have less fit concerns about his brother. Uh, than I do about uh, men. And that's really just because he has the size you want for, I mean, the, the Pistons have a clear need for a player between 6'5 and 6'9 who can just take those types of matchups. I think Ahmed has some of that. But offensively, all of his utility pretty much comes on the ball. And he's also one of the worst shooters in the in the draft, especially for his position. He shot 25% from three. A lot of those were wide open. He just has a ways to go mechanically. So realistically, if he does become a plus shooter, or even an average shooter in the NBA, it's going to take a few years for him to get there. I just don't see an avenue where he comes in next season and really changes that around unless he really just starts revamping that shot right now. So that's what worries me about him. It's just the shot and the fact that all of his skill pretty much comes from the fact that he can really pass and get downhill. So again, our guy Steve brings up a good point here. He says, a man needs the ball to reach his full potential. So I think that's where this really comes down to. My thing with Scoot Henderson, I think this kind of plays into the Scoot Henderson conversation that we were having pre-lottery, right? I thought Scoot was so good, Amari, that offensively you give Scoot the ball and let Cade kind of play a different role and archetype than what we had seen the first couple seasons. 
I personally don't think that's the case with a men. As high as I am on a men, higher than you, I still don't think I take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's, not exclusively anyway. So then it comes down to something we haven't seen, which is can a men go play off the ball? He has all of the physical tools, right? cutter. He could be a lob threat. You could do a lot of really fun things with him, but it's not necessarily stuff we've seen. He plays on the ball. And the only time a star gets to play on the ball is when a men's on the sideline. It's not like they switch roles while they're still on the court together. So, and then the shooting as well. So that's just, I am concerned about that. The more I've thought about it, the less high I am on a men specifically with the Pistons because I'm just like I don't think I buy him as a true like point guard that I'm going to take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands and put it in a men Thompson's and that's the thing if like let's say the Pistons walked away from 2021 with Jalen Green or Evan Mobley and then last year you get Keegan Murray or you know somebody else or even like Paolo or you know Chet Jabari whoever if they had a different core now it's like, okay, if I'm in there at five, he makes a lot of sense because there's a good chance that this guy could be six foot seven John Morant, which obviously is a really great player because John's great. But on this team, he's not necessarily giving you anything you don't already have between Cade and Jaden Ivey. And this three of them fitting together where I'm in is probably the worst shooter of the three. And it's not like Cade and Ivey have been knocked down shooters quite yet in their career. It just seems like a lot of positional overlap. And I just... I just really don't see how those three players can overlap. Now, if Amin is just clearly the best prospect there, maybe you take them and just figure it out later. Maybe you trade somebody at the deadline or you just see if it works. Maybe you trade somebody in the next weeks after. You figure something out. But just from Detroit's standpoint, I just don't see what Amin's doing right now that you don't already have. And there's probably a better way to use that fifth pick. I think... I've talked myself into one. I think a man goes number four to the Rockets. Like, I just think that makes so much sense. It seems like that's destined to happen. If he fell to five, that's the scenario where I actually think the Pistons could get a decent trade out of number five. I think it's a men Thompson, like somebody, some GM, some owner, whatever it is. We've seen this happen, Omari. I think he's the guy that could realistically be there at five that someone truly falls in love with. I don't think that's going to happen as much with Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker, any of those guys. I think somebody could look at a men Thompson and say, this is a number one option face of our franchise guy. I'm not saying I agree with it, Omari. I'm saying I think that's the guy I could see an organization saying that about where you could get decent value trading out of number five, whether it's for an established player trading back in the lottery and future assets, whatever it is. Cody brings up an interesting thought right here. And we don't have a star on the outline. I'm going to give Wes a little bit of, I don't know, um, I'm going to joke with him a little bit. He didn't even have a star on the outline. He actually added Brandon Miller just in case Brandon Miller would fall. I just like to give Wes crap about, about Asar Thompson. But Cody brings up an interesting, as we're talking about fit, he says Asar is a much better fit for the Pistons, but he doesn't have the upside of a man would prefer Asar for the Pistons. I actually think I agree with that. I have a man solidly as a better prospect than Asar, but this plays right into what I'm talking about. If I was going to take a man at five, I would rather just, or Asar at five, I'd rather just trade back to eight or nine and take him there. So uh, I think Asar is a better fit. Where are you at with Asar? I like Asar. I think he's a better shooter than Amin is right now, and I like his upside more. Uh, maybe not quite the same tier of athlete, but still one of the best of the NBA. I like his offensive tools. I think Asar, I mentioned it earlier, I just think he's a better fit for Detroit. And to your point about trading back, if, like, let's say Utah, I'm sorry, let's say Houston 
takes Cam Whitmore at four, right? Like they need a point guard. Let's say, okay, like they're getting James Harden. So they're just like, let's just take Cam Whitmore because he fits what we have. Uh, I would, if I'm the Pistons, I'm, I'm in this right there at five. I'm calling Utah. I'm saying give me nine and 16 for five because Utah has a very clear need for a point guard. Utah takes, I'm in at five. I might be able to get a star at nine. And then you have that 16th pick. You can look at trading that, maybe getting the future first to restock the pick you lost when you traded for Isaiah Stewart. You can just take a different player at 16. You can take 16, package it with Boyan or Alec or somebody and go get a different player. That gives you a lot of flexibility. So I do like the idea of some sort of Utah Pistons pick or trade uh, just because I'm in could be there at five, and Utah has a clear need for a point guard. And I don't know if Utah, they have the 28th pick too, so I don't know if they want to take three guys in the first round this year. Uh, there's just some stuff that they could do and just have a, a lot of fun with, and it makes sense to me. I love it. And here's the thing about nine, Omari. Let's say you trade back to nine and Asar goes at six. You still have on the board Anthony Black, mm-hmm. Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, who happens to be who we're going to talk about here in segment two. So I think nine is the furthest I would go. I don't want to trade back past nine because then I think there's a tier break. I think there's a drop off. Now you're looking at Cason Wallace, who I like. We talked about him with Richard, but I don't know that he's a great fit. Like he's probably coming off the bench for this team his entire career. If Cade and Ivy hit, I don't think he's a guy that you put in the starting lineup and he's good enough. You move Cade to the three, four. So that's a really interesting one. I know everybody talks about Orlando six and 11 but nine and 16 with Utah that that's a little more interesting there because I think you can still feel like you're going to get a guy that you want and West missing nine and, and Sexton which you know Sexton would be an interesting fit here in deep Detroit but I like him as a like a microwave option like six man for sure and Utah has some other assets too that they could kind of play with in that so I'd be curious to see if they try to move up to the top five just to get on them All right, we're going to go to a short break here. When we come back, we're going to dive into those guys we were just talking about, starting with another one of the Pistons fan favorite, Jairus Walker. All right, back with segment two. And we're going to talk about Jairus Walker, uh, who I think just from a personality and just the way he approaches the game standpoint just seems the most like a Trey Weaver guy. And I would think he's pretty high on, on Detroit's draft board just because of that. Uh, Coach Bryce, go ahead and lead us off. What do you see in, in Jarris Walker and like how does he fit with this business team? I mean, I think he's a really good fit, especially for what they're trying to do, right, Omari? I brought this up. I was recording with Bryce Hendricks of the Upside Swings, and we were talking about this. And Adam Spinella had tweeted, I think when the Wiseman trade happened, that the idea of what the Pistons are trying to do with these two bigs makes sense, right? It makes sense, but they're trying to do it with the wrong guys. I think Jairus Walker is the perfect type of guy that you play two bigs with because he's so versatile offensively. He can catch, go right into a DHO. He can throw the back door pass. He can attack a closeout. I think he's athletic enough to play in the dunker spot. You can screen and roll or screen and pop. The big question with Jairus Walker offensively, Amari, is do you buy the shooting? The shooting numbers are so weird because he shot a decent and respectable 35% from three. Like, that's not something you scoff at as a freshman in college. I'm cool with that as a four-man. But then he shot somewhere in the 60s from the free throw line. And it's like, okay, well, now which indicator do you believe in? Because a lot of people will tell you that the free throw shooting is a better indicator. So I if I fully believed in the jump shot, I would be all in. 
I'm still trying to decide where I'm at with that, but I've definitely risen on Jairus Walker from two or three weeks ago as I've watched more film. Yeah, I think the shooting is the swing scale for me as well. If he can really knock down threes, like let's say he can get to be a 37% shooter, which I do think is a realistic outcome for him. Now you're talking about a player who has perfect size to be a modern forward, right? He's six, seven, six, eight, but he's got a long wingspan. He's bouncy. Uh, he's got just really great defensive instincts. Uh, he could probably switch, uh, you know, like two through five, maybe maybe certain ones, depending on how tall they are. I don't know if I'm switching with a guy who's like six one, but if he's like six four, then you could probably get away with that. And just overall, I just think he's a really great two way. Uh, prospect. I think for Detroit, like you already have Isaiah Stewart, and I know some people have compared them. I think Walker's a much more natural four than Isaiah Stewart is. I also think they can play together pretty well. Uh, but you also have Jalen Duran, you have James Wiseman, you have Marvin Bagley, so you add Jairus Barker to that, and that's pretty crowded. So you probably look at a trade somewhere. But I would not let Detroit's front court situation impact my decision making on whether or not I take Jairus Walker. I think he has a chance to be the perfect four for the playoffs. Uh, you think about Grant Williams, a guy who can knock down threes, match up pretty well. Uh, Walker's a much better passer than Grant Williams was coming out of college and he's younger. So uh, to me, I don't know if I see a star outcome for Jairus Walker, but I see elite role player make a lot of money uh, for 15 years type outcome for him. And he does fit a lot of needs that the Pistons have, especially on defense. I want to say I've kind of grouped these guys into the high upside, but low floor. You probably want to take those guys if you don't think you have enough of that upside with Cade Ivy Duran. That was who we talked about in segment one with Whitmore, Amin, and even Asar. I know we skated over Asar just a little bit more than what a lot of people would like, but that's the grouping there. To me, this group of guys with Walker, Hendricks, and Black is a little bit more of, okay, we think Cade and Ivy is eventually a top three backcourt in the NBA. Jalen Duran is this modern big who can pass and move and protect the rim and do all those things. We just got to add really good players around them, versatile players. And I think at least two of these three are that. Taylor Hendricks, we can debate a little bit more. But if that's where you're at, then I think Walker's the pick because you just add another guy that you think is going to be really good. And fit-wise, I think he can do just about anything you want in terms of play with Boyan. I think that works. You want to play him at the four with Stu at the five? I think that works. You bring in Jeremy Grant in free agency? I think that works. So I, I think he just really fits in there. And defensively is where another, I'm not sure I see quite the upside that a lot of people do, Amari. We've talked about this a little bit, but I told Wes this, even if he isn't locked down, that's okay. If you can say, Jairus, you're going to take the best wing, forward, whatever player, and you're going to expend all of your energy on them, well, that's now a guy that Boyan doesn't have to guard or whoever they sign in free agency or you know possibly Cade, whoever it is. That's valuable. I think he'll do it at least a neutral level. He can protect the rim a little bit. I thought he was a big-time rebounder coming out of high school, so you add that already to Dern and Stu. I like those three. I don't know how you feel. Fit-wise, you give me Jairus Walker, Stu, and Duran. Whatever happens with, with Wiseman and Bagley is either icing on the cake or they move on or you trade them or whatever. I like those three together as a rotation. I do too. Like, again, I just think Walker is a guy. All 30 teams, he's a player like that, right? Uh, really hard nose on defense, rebounds well. He's got some shooting touch. Uh, he sees the floor really well. You can do short roll, like whatever else. Maybe long term, he can even play some three, depending on the lineup. But just that archetype is extremely valuable in the NBA now. And uh, if there's a safe pick, the Pistons can make at five. That might be one of the safest. 
Well, where he can play as the three Amari is, again, if he could guard threes on the other end, right? So let's say Boyan is technically your three, but you don't want Boyan guarding Jason Tatum. Well, if if Jairus Walker can actually do that, and again, not saying he's going to lock Tatum down, but if he can at least take that matchup, now Boyan doesn't have to expend as much energy. Like, there's just a lot of value in that. So I've come around on Jairus. We've talked about that. And so this is interesting, too. There's a lot of really good intel coming out about Jairus Walker. So Steve Pelletier, Marcus Sasser also said he thought Jairus had one of the best handles on the Houston squad. So that's really interesting, That just that versatility offensively and what he can do off the bounce I had somebody tweet at me and say they were listening to a broadcast and Walker somewhere along lines essentially like made sure the walk-ons got their money like the NIL money first or something you know something like that so just it sounds like the intel is really good on this kid as well seems like a hard worker I've really come around on Jairus Walker Omari at five and again if you think Ivy and Cade are superstar backcourt potential you just need to start adding really really good playoff caliber players then i think jared walker really could be the pick let's move on to a player i think he's more divisive i like him a lot i think you like him anthony black out of arkansas from a fit standpoint i think there's probably a lot of the same criticism you'd have with amen yet i still feel like anthony black fits better with this business squad right so i'm curious to hear how you feel about this just given that you know non-shooting big playmaker same archetype yet. I just feel like Anthony Black would fit a little bit better. I don't know why. Maybe you can talk me out of it or support me here. No, I'm not going to. And I feel the same way because I know what people are going to say. I'm waiting for the tweets. I'm waiting for the comments. And rightfully so. Like, we should get, what are you guys talking about? You said a men's a bad fit. And then Anthony Black is a similar type player. I just believe that there's a higher chance Anthony Black plays off the ball. I went back and I scouted him out of high school. And in my notes, I actually had, moves well off the ball. I think there's some real off-ball potential with Anthony Black. And I thought he was going to have to do that a lot, Omari, because he was coming in with Nick Smith Jr., who I thought was big time, obviously didn't have the freshman season that was expected. So it was really interesting to then see him have to handle the ball as much. as I think there's more off the ball. As it, just as simple as I can say, I think he can play off the ball. I understand the shooting concerns. It's got to get better, right? Like we're talking about a 30%, I believe, three-point shooter. He honestly had more attempts than what I thought. So I would feel more comfortable fit-wise, Amari, adding him to Caden Ivy than I would a men just in terms of overall fit. Steve brings up another really good point. His free throw rate is ridiculous for a freshman or any level of player. So he really pressured the rim. He's more athletic than what people realize. And he's another guy. I buy his defense a lot because I think there's more of like fundamentally sound stuff to his defense. And again, another kid who all the intel, I heard someone say it the other day, if you talk to him, he's like the nicest kid you could ever talk to. And so there's a lot of boxes that Anthony Black checks for the Pistons and fitting in with this roster. I do buy his shooting to an extent, uh, simply because I don't know if he'll ever be like a knockdown, like 38% guy, but I think he can get to 34 or 35%. Uh, just because his shot's not mechanically broken. It's a little slow. Uh, he needs to tweak it, but I can see him in two or three years becoming respectable enough to where you're not leaving him wide open, right? And then you mentioned uh, the free throw already got to the line a lot, which I think always bodes well for players transitioning to the next level because you have a lot of superstars who live at the line or even just stars or whoever who just live at the line, right? That's a big portion of their offense. So I don't think Anthony Black will ever just be like, 
a non-factor as a, a scorer. Uh, he was a pretty good athlete. I think he had a 39-inch vertical, which surprised me. Uh, but his game overall reminds me of Kyle Anderson in the sense that he's a good defender. Uh, he's a good rebounder. He's really big for his size, so he can match up you know, pretty well against whoever you need him to match up against. Obviously, he sees the floor really well, plus playmaker. But you're not going to call him Stomo. Uh, he's a great athlete, and he's like an athletic Kyle Anderson. He's a pretty good player. You can compare him maybe to like a bigger DeJounte Murray. But you see players in the NBA who don't have the greatest jumpers, but they can make up for it in other ways. And just looking at how Anthony Black was able to be a lead guy, but also play off of other playmakers at Arkansas. They had Ricky Council IV, uh, other players who beat at the ball. Uh, he fared really well. And from a fit standpoint, I don't think he's like an amazing fit in Detroit. But if you just want to add a really high Q player who does everything pretty well and still has long-term upside as a scorer because of that downhill ability and because his jump shot's not completely broken. I do think Anthony Black makes a lot of sense for this team. That's a really good point. I heard this the other day with Amin Thompson as well. He's always been the alpha. I think that's part of why I love Amin Thompson, right, is because he has been the alpha with a twin brother who's also really good. I think you want a little bit of that in every player you have. You want him to have some of that. But with Anthony Black, it just does seem like there's a little bit more comfortability of playing off the ball. I don't want to say that Amin Thompson is selfish because I don't believe that at all. I just It seems like Anthony Black has a little bit easier transitioning, filling that type of role that would be asked of him with the Pistons. Here's the other thing, Amari. There would be times then when you could let him lead the team. Whenever Cade and Ivy need a rest or if one is injured or sick or whatever it is, but throughout a game, throughout a season, you know, eventually, hopefully in the playoffs, there are times where, hey, you know what? It's nice that we have Anthony Black. That helps you with your second unit. You don't need a big time second unit point guard because you have Cade, Ivy and an Anthony Black that could run the show when asked. I just think I've seen enough of Anthony Black cutting off the ball, offensive rebounding, those type of things to buy into him as an okay fit. And again, uh, just another high field guy with really good athleticism. I think he could attack closeouts like we've talked about with some of these other guys. And then defensively, I think he's really good as well. We better talk about Taylor Hendricks because we got some heat and some comments about how we just scathed over Taylor Hendricks with Richard. And then our guy, Justin Kroll, is asking if he had missed the Taylor Hendricks report. No, you have not. We're about to get into it right now. I don't know that you're going to like mine, but let's go ahead and get into Taylor Hendricks. Amari, I think another guy at the very least, let's start here. I think he fits well with this roster. Maybe not quite as good as Jairus, just because I think Hendricks is a little bit more of a 4-5 than what Walker is. I don't know. But the shooting is definitely a good fit. Yeah, I think Hendricks is hes a unique prospect in that, yeah, he's like 6'9". Uh, decent wingspan, but he's really slim. So I feel like early on, he's almost just a four, right? I don't think he necessarily has the on-ball ability to be a three. And he's just going to get, uh, you know, annihilated in the in the post by certain matchups. All of those, you know, players tend to bully almost anybody, but I just don't know if he has the size right now to really be a full-time five. So I see him almost purely as a four. And you're almost going to want him alongside somebody like Isaiah Stewart or Jalen Durant or uh, James Wiseman at all times just because he is a little slender. But beyond that, I, I really buy into Hendricks' shooting. I think he's a good shooter for his size and, and still getting better. I trust his shot, Mern. I, I trust Jairus Walker's right now. And just his mobility on defense, like he moves really well along the perimeter. He can bang inside a little bit. you know. So I do think he's really malleable on that end. And I just like his game a lot. 
you know, I kind of go back and forth between whether I like him or Jairus Walker as a prospect more. And really, they're just both in the same tier. And it just comes down to roster fit or like what you value in a four, because Walker's certainly the better playmaker between the two. But I do trust Hendrick's shot and athleticism a bit more. So uh, you're just taking some things with one, leaving some things with the other. But overall, Hendricks is probably not as clean of a fit with this team than Walker is just because he's not the same type of playmaker. And if there's one thing they need is a power forward who can really move the ball. But beyond that, you can talk me to Hendricks over Walker or Walker over Hendricks. I think I'm pretty flexible as far as that. I will say that I do think I have Jairus Walker solidly over Taylor Hendricks right now because I'm just kind of buying into the versatility offensively. And I do think Jairus is got more versatility than Taylor Hendricks does defensively. Now, Hendricks protects the rim better. Like, there's no doubt that he protects the rim better. But I just think overall versatility with what Walker can do defensively, I would buy into that a little bit more. I worry a little bit offensively with Hendricks of, is he kind of just a one-trick pony in terms of he's just going to knock down threes is that all he can do and I got to watch some more film in terms of can you play him in the dunker spot you talked about how he's slim so is he going to be able to set a screen roll to the rim and catch a lob I think he has the athleticism and like the vertical pop to do that but is he strong enough to do that in the NBA I know he can pick and pop but again we're talking about just catching and shooting knocking those out and he doesn't have near the type of ball handling wiggle stuff that Jarris Walker does in terms of attack someone off the bounce but if the shooting is that good and I'm the one that made this point with Jabari Smith Jr. last year you don't have to have a ton of wiggle if you shoot it like that Amari you're going to create advantages to attack the rim with your shooting gravity they have to close out so close straight line drive and he had some really impressive ones of those some flashes of really nice touch around the rim I'm not saying he's a bad player again if we go back to the scenario we outlined earlier if they traded back to nine and ended up with Taylor Hendricks I would be okay with that I would walk away from the draft perfectly happy with that in that scenario I just think if you're picking at five I would rather take Jairus Walker fit wise I do think I have to walk back a little bit what I said adding that level of shooting to this team at the four I think that makes a lot of sense so I do think fit wise that would be really nice you have him and Boyan out there just spacing the floor letting Kate and Ivy attack and Duran play around the rim that that would be pretty interesting you make a good point with Hendricks as far as not needing the tightest handle uh, I mean at six nine with his shot he was above 80 percent at the free throw line as well so I really buy it to his shooting uh, he's going to get hard closeouts, and then from there, he's just putting the ball on the floor, a couple of dribbles, making quick decisions. So that will make his life a lot easier. And kind of like Walker, I don't know if I see like star upside with him, but do I think he could be like John Collins here? I do. I do think that he could be firmly above average starter, and he could help you win games. So this is really interesting. Dax Hoops, Hendrick, clearly the better shooter, probably better hands and rim protection. Walker has a better body, better handles, probably higher upside, but lower floor. So this plays right into what I'm trying to navigate right now, Amari. How I'm trying to tear these guys out and, and make my list is, and I got to think a little bit further with this next part, how good do you think Cade and Ivy are? How good do you think Jalen Duran is? If you think that that's truly a core that can help you get and contend in the playoffs, then maybe Taylor Hendricks is the right guy. Maybe he is the perfect fit in terms of a guy who maybe the ceiling isn't huge, Omari, but he can come in and play the four spot for you for the next 10 years. Going to be a good rim protector, good team defender, 
a little bit of versatility playing at the four or five. I don't know about the matchups on the wing as much as Jarris. I don't buy into that as much, but pick and pop, space the floor, attack closeouts, offensive rebound. There's a lot of value in that. And so if you're really high on the young three of Kate Ivy Duran, that might be the perfect guy to add to that court. And I look at the fact that kind of like Walker and his playmaking really gives his front court rotation something that needs. Hendricks and his shooting makes it easier for him to play next to anybody. You can play up next to Isaiah Stewart. And Isaiah Stewart, you know, you don't have to put him on the perimeter as much. He can stay inside and take the the bigger guy between the other team's two bigs. Or you can play up next to Jalen Duran. Or it gives you a lot of maneuverability just because he does space the floor. So I feel like I'm walking myself back. I said I feel like Walker fit a bit uh, better earlier. Now I can see Hendricks. Both of these guys are good. They're both good players. I don't think you can go wrong either way. They're both in the same tier for me. Uh, it just depends on what you personally value more. Uh, I'd probably trust Walker to defend the the Jason Tatum's and Luka Doncic's board, and I trust Taylor Hendricks to do that. But it really is just picking and choosing what you want to prioritize in a four and what you think will help this team more in the playoffs down the road. And I think what you just said, and we have someone here, you know, just obviously doesn't believe in it as much. Jairus will get cooked trying to guard threes full time. Like if you don't buy that of Jairus Walker, then this becomes a completely different conversation. If you don't think you can at least take some of those matchups that you're talking about, the LeBrons, the Giannis's, you know, even to the Jason Tatum, some of those big, then, then yeah, like we're not talking about a guy that's as versatile and offers quite as much defensively. And you'd be better off just saying, Hey, Taylor Hendricks, protect the rim, do a really good job with those type of things. I just think Jairus does have more versatility, how he can guard a ball screen, those type of things. At the end of the day, there's a lot of really nice options here, and it does come down to where do you think this roster is at? How good do you think some of the guys currently on the roster are? What do you think is going to happen in free agency? Those type of things. We're going to dive into that. So if you're watching right now on YouTube, start throwing in the chat. Who would you take at five? Who are some free agent targets? Maybe throw us a trade in there. We're going to try to do a little bit of a mock offseason with you guys. Amari and I are going to try to agree on this. Who we're going to take with each pick. Who do you guys like at pick 31 for the Pistons? That's an interesting selection as well. We're going to run that down here right after this short break. All right, we're back with segment three, and we're going to mock out this offseason. We have 20 minutes, so we're going to try to move quick and get some questions in. Uh, but Obviously, you have eight players on the contract next season. You have about $30 million in cap space, $40 million if they decline that Alec Burks option. But for all intents and purposes, $30 million. And, you know, some clear needs as well. Uh, you know, Bryce, I will start with you. And we're going to make quick decisions on just all their pending and potential free agents. And then we can get to some questions. So feel free to put some questions in the chat while we go through this really briefly. Uh, just talked about Alec Burks. For me, it's no question I'm picking up that that option. Bryce, what about you? Yeah, I think so as well. So yeah, Kate Ivy Hayes on the books. Bogey is kind of the only wingy forward, and then Duran Stu, Marvin Bagley the third, Wiseman. You have as the bigs. So that's what you have there, and then you have some of these decisions you're going to have to make. Alec Burks, I think I'm with you, Amari. We're going to pick up that option. RJ Hampton, non-guaranteed. You could move off from him, but I'm going to stay with RJ Hampton for now. What do you think? You're bringing RJ back next season? I think I would. It's it's very slim. I think it's less than $2 million. I'm not. Can, yeah. can we go, let's go through the draft and stuff, and then we'll make the decisions on the rest of these guys, right? Okay. Because that might decide Eugene Amarui, Livers, and some of the unrestricted free agents as well. So let's make the pick at five. I'll put Burks in on the roster, and that gives us nine players, Omari. And we're at, what, $30 million in cap space now. 
with nine players on the roster. So let's make the pick at five. Who, who, let's say everybody's available. I know one of these guys is going to be gone, but let's just say everybody's available. Who are you taking at five? I'm taking Cam Whitmore. I think you just need to make an upside swing. And I really see him having the most upside of all the players there at five. Maybe you draft the floor. Maybe you, uh, you know, look at, 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 at row. And this is funny because this is what 69 episodes. I don't think we've had an interruption from, I don't know. Did Roy show up on the screen? Because all of a sudden, he, nah. I, I record in Royce's room. The He's about to be four. He okay. opens the door, walks in, collects all of his toys. He's dropping them and trying to close the door. I have all three kids at home right now by oh, myself. Man. My wife is at work. So I've been stressing this whole time. I'm like, all right, we're good. We only got 15 minutes left. And then here we are. So, all right. No, go ahead. it's okay. It's okay. We know you're a father of three amazing kids. So, you know, it's <laughs> okay. So you get a pass. You get a pass. <laughs> you get a pass. It's, 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 it's all right. I'm child free. So I can, um, I'll eat up some of the time here. Yeah. I'm taking Cam Whitmore because I just see him as having the most long-term upside. I'm not as worried about the playmaking. And I'm just looking at what do I need? What boxes do I need checked immediately? Because realistically, no rookie's probably moving the needle that much defensively anyway. So long-term, I'm taking his shooting. I'm taking his playmaking at the rim. I'm taking his defensive upside. And to me, that makes the most sense at number five. Uh, We're going to agree there. We'll take Cam Whitmore, Amari. That gives us 10 guys on the roster. And I'd already built in that cap space stuff or whatever. So we're still at 30 million. We have 10 guys. We've now added a wingy forward. We'll put him in that box. We need to make, are we going to make a trade? Are we going to trade bogey for some, we don't have to make the actual trade Omari. I'm just going to say, do we want to trade bogey for a mid first round selection that could, you know, offer up where you draft Grady Dick, Bryce Sensible, something like that. Or do we just want to keep bogey and move to 31? I would look at trading Bogey. You know, just you know, he'll he'll be 34 next season, and as good as he was last year, if you're looking to add a wing in free agency, which you know I think Trey Weaver even said it is in the season availability, we need a uh, defender, right? Like Isaiah Livers is our one player in that range. We need somebody else. Then I think that makes Bogey a little bit more expendable, especially if you address that wing at the five as well. I'm looking at trading Bogey for sure. Okay, so here's an interesting. Cody says we're going to trade Bogey to the War- pick 31 and Bogey to the Warriors, and then you're still in that range of a Jet Howard, Gigi Jackson, Bryce Sensible, somebody like that. Would you do that, or would you rather wait for 31, and then you're looking at prospects like Marcus Sasser. I think that got brought up by our guy Dax Hoops. You're looking at Jaime Jaquez, a guy that you've brought up. There's my guy, Omax Prosper from Marquette. I think you can still add another wing, whether you trade bogey or not. There's still room for those wings forwards on this roster, even before we get to free agency. So what do you want to do here, Mario? I'll let you make the call. Are we trading up in some capacity and moving on from bogey, or are we just going to make the pick at 31? You know, if Marcus Sasser is there at 31, um, I think that's a pretty good pick you could make. Honestly, I really like the 31st pick in this draft because once you get outside of, like, the top 12 or 13 in this draft, like, the gap between 14 and 31 is not massive. Like, I think really once you get to, like, pick 16 or 17, it's, like, wide open, and you could conceivably get a player that's top 10 on your draft board at 31. So I would keep, I think I would keep 31. I make a pick at five and 31. And if I'm trading bogey, I'm probably looking more so at future draft capital or another player who could help now, maybe on defense more so than I am getting another pick in this draft. I think between five and 31, 
I am at capacity for young players on this <laughs> roster, right? Uh, you still have Proceda overseas as well who could conceivably come over at some point. I'm looking at getting something else with Bogey. Like if I could get a 24, 25 first rounder, you know, for example, because I know I still owe one to New York because of that trade for Isaiah Stewart three years ago, I'm doing that. Uh, I would say Bogey is tradable. I don't know if I necessarily need another pick in this draft. I'm keeping 31. All right, let's just keep Bogey then for now. We got all sorts of names popping up at 31. Jordan Walsh, Kamara, Sasser, Julian Phillips. Again, I'm going to throw my guy, Omax. You have Slauson, Strother, Bobby Clintman. There's all of these names, and that's not even guys who possibly could fall to 31 because there are some names like that. You threw out Jaime Jaquez in your most recent article. I'm not the biggest fan of Jaquez, like ceiling-wise, but if you want a guy who's going to come in and just do some really good things, especially right away as an older prospect I think that that would make a lot of sense you took the swing with Cam Whitmore now you add Hawkes as you know a guy off the bench what where are we going to go with 31 I think my inclination would be somebody with a little more upside Julian Phillips Bobby Clintman the, the old term was pre-draft Bobby Clintman's probably a, a lottery guy or mid first round guy if he goes back to school and comes out next year so if I can get that guy at 31 I'd feel pretty good about it I also am fully on board. Yeah, Gigi's there. You definitely, you sprint to the podium. Yes, guys. If Gigi's there, I think, Amari, would you agree with that? I'm taking Gigi. I agree with that. Yeah, like 100%. So I don't think Gigi's going to be there at 31. I'll just say that. I'd also be okay with Marcus Sasser. And I guess maybe that replaces Killian. I don't know, but I like Marcus Sasser as well. Where would you lean? I know you took Hawkes in your most recent one. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty flexible, honestly. It depends a lot of, like, who's there. But there's a lot of guys in, like, that range that I'm a fan of, whether it's Hackwiz, like, obviously, I listed him. And just look at that pick was more so just looking at how the Pistons have used their second rounders in the past, where you get a four-year guy, Isaiah Livers, or our guy, Luka Garza, well, I guess Pistons Twitter's guy, Luka Garza, who I'm sure still has some big fans. Uh, they've just leaned toward highly productive four-year players for that spot, so I think he makes sense there. But I mean, I would go. I would go Sasser. I like Kobe Jones. Uh, I think there's a chance Jet Howard really falls, which I disagree with to an extent because I think he could really, really shoot the ball. And I think he wasn't that good defensively at Michigan, but he has the tools to be at least average defensively. Which, if he's a knockdown shooter, you can live with. Uh, Jordan Haw- okay, like Jordan Hawkins is not falling into 31, huh. but at the same time, he's been consistently mocked like in like the 20s range, which to me is interesting because he's a knockdown shooter. So even if he's not a lottery guy to me, he's top 20. And I know for you, he's probably top five, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, if he's there at 31. <laughs> if he's there at 31, then I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, Chris Murray and Noah Clowney are two other guys okay, that yep. I could really work with. Noah Clowney being, if he's not the youngest guy in the draft, he's one of the youngest. And he has the tools to be a, a Taylor Hendricks. He really does. He's not quite as skilled yet, but... Oh, there we go. No comedy. No, don't no. take Hendricks. So this is what I was trying to think is, yeah, I was getting ready to say Trace Jackson Davis as well. So yeah. I think this is where it gets fun and why I wanted to do this. I'm a little less excited about taking some of these wings because we already took Whitmore. And if we're keeping Bogey, no, not Imani Bates. So, <laughs> Well, we got to come back to Imani we, Bates. We will come back to Imani yeah. Bates. He might get one of the three two ways, maybe. All right, but Noah Clowney, TJ TJD, like I like those guys if they don't take Walker or Hendricks with number five. So I think that's where I would rather go because I do think adding somebody like that makes it. I think I would go Clowney because of what YouTube user just said. 
I think he can shoot the ball or there's a higher upside of him shooting the ball. I think TJD did at the combine or something. I'm cool if we go Noah Clowney here. Yeah, I like Noah Clowney a lot. Uh, I mean, still very, very raw, but for his age, you could take him, uh, you know, let him play with the Cruz for a couple of years. He could probably really become a difference maker in a couple of years. And then, and then Chris Murray, I mean, like we yep. talked about him this last pod, similar to his brother. But long story short, somebody good is going to pass, like, fall out to 31. There's a lot of players in that range that I think will be pretty good NBA players. You will get somebody good at 31. And then we have Leonard Miller, Dax Hoop. I think Leonard Miller's going, he may end up lottery. Like, there's just, there's too much smoke from, like, the big-time draft people who are legit connected and are talking to NBA teams and making their boards off of that. I just, I'm buying that Leonard Miller is rising up boards, as Cody says. If he's not lottery, I think he's mid-first round. So I'm going to lock in. Noah Clowney, Omari. That gives us 11 players right now to work with. We have four open spots. We can get to some of the the rest of the roster in just a second. Do we want to pick a two-way guy? I know we had somebody bring up Amani Bates. Is there somebody else that, you know, an undrafted free agent guy? Like Dylan Jones is my guy. He's from Weber State, really versatile wingy forward that I would love to get in Detroit on the two-way as Royce makes his first appearance on YouTube, do you have somebody like that, Amari, that we can put on the the one of the three two ways? Let's talk about Imani Bates really quickly because he's a local guy. I know a lot of people are intrigued by him. I wrote a story. I talked to Imani at the combine last week, and he, uh, I mean, you know, he had a lot to say just about his college career and the, the ups and downs. There are a lot of downs, obviously, uh, but just from that story and just emails to people on Twitter, I know that Imani is still seen by a lot of people as you know, that player who is being compared to Kevin Durant a couple of years ago. And I think the thing with Imani that people have to realize is that he did not have a great season at Eastern Michigan. He shot the three uh, decently well, and he took a lot of threes off the dribble and off the catch and whatnot. And I do buy into some upside for Imani as a shooter. Uh, but the rest of his game needs a lot of work. I mean, he averaged more assists than turnovers. He's not at all, I, I mean, for, we talked about, guys who the boss sticks with like with cam earlier but the difference with cam is that at least he's turnovers an and assists more turnovers than assists yeah, more turnovers and assists and the thing with cam is that at least he's a very active off-ball cutter and he did shoot the ball really well uh with imani outside of the shooting there's just not a lot he's not a good athlete he had one of the lowest verticals at the combine uh, he's got really short arms uh defensively like he's not there at all you are pretty much drafting him just to be a six nine shooter and that's it like regardless of what he was compared to like Kevin Durant, whatever else, like he's not that player. We saw him at Memphis. We saw him at Eastern Michigan. Uh, that's just not the player he was. So, you know, maybe at best we're talking about him being a uh, two-way player, uh, you know, playing with the Cruz next season. But I would consider him at 31. And I don't even know if with the Cruz is the best scenario for him, Amari, because he's going to be able to go down there and feel like he can do what he's been doing his whole career, which is be the man with the ball in his hands and not have to play off the ball and those type of things. And so I think what's interesting is can you get him to play off the ball and just be a catch and shoot guy and do those type of things. And I'm just not sure that you can. And that's where the intel really comes in and where we don't have all the information we would need. Is he willing to go play the role you need him to be and where he could actually be successful? And I just don't know that we've seen anything on the court, at least where we can believe in that on top of the defense, the athleticism, the short arms, all of that stuff just it doesn't really make sense for me. I would The best I would do, the most I would do with Amani Bates is undrafted free agent. And now that there's three two ways, 
I would put him on a two-way and see if he would be willing to play the quote-unquote right way with the Motor City Cruise. I think that's probably the best case scenario. But yeah, again, I just know that there's a, sort of a lot of, you know, people who followed anybody when he was, you know, at MC Prep and, you know, they saw this hype that it kind of fell apart. You know, I don't know if there are people who kind of realize kind of the player he was in college. And the reality is that there's probably a disconnect between the player he thinks he is or, you know, wants to be and the player he actually is. And, uh, a lot of his adjustment at the next level, wherever he ends up, is kind of reconciling those two things. Uh, he's going to have to really embrace the dirty work and doing the little things that separate guys at that level. And not necessarily see himself as the guy. And for the Pistons, I'd be curious if they're also wondering, you keep him close to home, would that be good for him? Would it be better for him to go elsewhere, this and that? Uh, but there's a lot of red flags there that whoever team takes him, we have to navigate. All right, so we got 11 guys on the roster. Let's finish this off with some free agency. We'll do more of this next week with Key Smith. Obviously, he is the the go at this type of stuff. We have roughly 30 million in cap space, Omari. We have Cade, Ivy, Hayes, Alec Burks. We haven't added any guards to the roster. We have those four, kind of your wings forwards. You have Bogey, Whitmore, and then kind of however you want to classify Clowney and Stu. And then obviously Duran, Marvin Bagley III, and Wiseman. So four roster spots. Do we want to do free agents outside of the organization first? And then we can make some decisions on RJ Hampton, Amarui, Livers, Hami, those guys, or you want to go through those guys real quick first? Let's go through those guys first, because okay. there's probably only a handful of these guys who would realistically come back next season. So we can just kind of go through that. So now that we've gone through this, I'm probably going to let RJ Hampton walk. You agree? I agree. The thing with RJ, I mean, he has some flashes last season, but he doesn't play a position of need. And just realistically, you could just probably use that roster spots where something that's going to help you a little bit more next season. Uh, like, I thought he had some flashes, especially toward the end, but just, you know, they're pretty stocked up where guard. You may take one at 31. Uh, it's just, I don't see an avenue for RJ playing a lot next season. Amarui, $2 million club option. I'd probably part ways with him. Uh, I'll look at bringing him back with the crews or maybe even on a, a two-way. Agreed. But as far as next season, I think we probably, like, he hustles, he can play good D. Uh, the shooting really wasn't there. And again, just use of a roster spot, probably where you can do with that. Isaiah Livers, $2 million club option. Bring back 100%. I'm with you as well. So that puts us at $28 million in cap space. And we now have 12 players on the roster, Amari. We have a couple guys we've talked about with two ways, whether it's actually Amani Bates. I brought up Dylan Jones, an undrafted free agent. I agree with you with Amarui. So, you know, add in another two-way guy somewhere. We got three roster spots. We have three undrafted free agents. We won't get into Bayheim and Roden. If they stay around, it'll be on a two-way. So Diallo, Joseph, Rodney Magruder, we have three open roster spots. Amari, are you going to put all three of them in those spots? No, I'm not. Uh, I think realistically, you probably only uh, take one back and, and then you have a spot to use a free agency or two spots to use a free agency if you want. Like of the three, I think just from a pure basketball standpoint, and I'm about to get tomatoes thrown at me. Uh -oh. I feel like Corey is the one I probably bring would be most likely to bring back just because I feel like I still need some sort of safety blanket in that backcourt. And Corey, I mean, he's been really great in the locker room for these players and he's really shot the ball well. He, he takes care of it. Just for a veteran point guard, I just think that that's, that checks a lot of boxes you probably need from that spot. And you know, I know Hami, it's tough because Hami really is coming off of a great season. I just think for this team, like, like what this roster needs, like they would probably, you could probably go elsewhere and get a lot of what he gives you and also get some shooting as well. So I think that's that's tough. But of the three, just from a pure 
fitting a need on the roster standpoint, I think Corey probably checks the most boxes. I actually think I agree with that. I want Homie to stay. I want to make this very clear. Now, I, I don't know how much he's going to get and be worth in free agency. I want Homie on this roster. I think he's a really good 11th, 12th man, especially with a roster that's in need of some wingy type forward guys that we've been talking about. And I think he can just come in, provide energy, do those things when necessary. So I'm going to bring up Steve's here. He says his free agent targets, Josh Richardson, Max Strews, Javon Carter, Watanabe, and Paul Reed. There's a couple of these names that are very interesting to me, specifically Javon Carter, who I think would be an interesting one, but then you're probably definitely moving on from Killian Hayes. I know Watanabe, a lot of people like that because of the shooting, Max Struess, but I feel like Struess is going to get paid after these playoffs. Any of these guys for you, Amari? Covering Javon Carter briefly, covering the Grizzlies, they traded, uh, they traded for Javon Carter and uh, Anthony Melton out of Phoenix. And Javon's still like really the same player then uh, that he is now, just a really good 3 and D point guard. If you could get Javon Carter, then you probably don't bring Corey Joseph back at that point. Uh, if you feel like you could get, because Javon Carter, he's an upgrade defensively and he's also shot the ball really well. So just as your maybe third or fourth point guard, I think he's perfect. Uh, Yuta Watanabe, another former Grizzly I covered, uh, he's improved shooting so much and he's he's tall, he's like 6'10". Defensively, I don't really know where he is, to be honest, so you know, I don't know if he checks that box, but he makes sense. But the reality is that I don't really want to pay much for any of these guys, so it would be you make one big swing and then you look at getting one of these guys maybe on the MLE or less, and that's probably the outcome there, so... Uh, out of these names, I think probably Javon and Yuda are the ones that stick out the most. You can talk to me to Josh Richardson as well. Uh, Max Struess, he probably gets paid. Uh, Paul Reed, I don't know if he fits indeed as much. Like I'm leaning Yuda and uh, Javon Carter in this instance. I think I'm with you on those two. Let's, so let's pencil those ones down, and then we'll keep talking through some things quickly here. Talked about Jeremy Grant a lot. I think it's one of those things where that's going to take up all your cap space. You know, if, if you bring in Jeremy, he's going to take up everything we have left here. We have 28 million. Maybe something else would have to happen to open up a little bit more. And then you're using the exception and, you know, all bird rights and all of that stuff to round out the roster. There's nobody else coming in from the outside. I could see it being Jeremy. I want to throw this option out to you, Amari. What about just overpaying somebody for one year to come in and, and start at the wing forward position. Do you think that, but do you need that? Like, here's the other thing. You have bogey. You just drafted Cam Whitmore at five in our scenario. We know the Pistons history is they start these guys. Now that doesn't mean they have to play the whole game, but you're not going to go get somebody big time name in free agency and not start them. They're not going to come here to come off the bench. So I, I feel like if you go down this path, with bogey on the roster, I don't know that you're going to get one of these guys to come in and come off the bench. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And that's something else that they will have to navigate is just stocking that rotation maybe too much, which again, like that's a good problem to have. And after being like light in the rotation last season, then you could probably get away with that. But I'm still a fan of just getting the best wing you can get in free agency, whether that's Jeremy, whether that's uh, Cam Johnson. Uh, I know somebody in the comments asked about Cameron Johnson, if that's an overpay or if you're comfortable sending an offer sheet to Cameron Johnson and having that money tied up. In this free agency class, like I'll be fine with that because I also think that there's a good chance the Pistons say, hey, free agency's not going to work for us, so let's just look at making a trade. And we don't have enough time to talk about trades today, unfortunately, but you know, I do think that probably more comfortable having too many guys than not enough. Like you you need depth. You look at Boston, all the all the guards they have and they've all worked or played different hoes. You just need options. You need tools to win games. And that's what the Pistons need this offseason. 
Yeah, and we will get into this a little bit more. I, I know we want to talk to Keith about you know what kind of trades might be out there. Are some of these big money teams looking to move off some contracts because of the super tax that's about to come in with the new CBA? Let's just make some quick decisions here, Amari. Let's, I think we both agree, maybe some lower level, like two free agent signings. So you have like Javon Carter, Seth Curry, somebody like that. Would you agree with that? Maybe bringing in a vet like that? I think that would work. I mean, Seth Curry is a knockdown shooter. He would definitely feel a need for this thing. And then I kind of like the Yuta stuff. I wasn't as sold on it early on. But again, you if you draft these wings, again, you added Cam Whitmore. You saw Bogey, Clowney. We brought back Isaiah Livers. Just bring in someone like Yuta. See if the shooting really sticks. Find out what he can do defensively. I think Steve said it. Hit a couple singles or doubles in the free agency class. Don't drop a bag. The only way I would drop the bag, again, Omari, is if you could just sign someone on a one-year $25 million contract, and then you just essentially are pushing that money down the road to next offseason when maybe you have a little bit better of an idea. I think free agency is hard because I don't think you want to make a huge, huge swing. And that's where I'm at. I think we're on the same page. We'll get into this more a little bit next week. This was a lot of fun talking fits through these prospects, actually making some selections and talking about that. Thank you for everybody that tuned in. I know it's middle of the day. I don't know if you guys are off on this Friday. Maybe you just took a little bit of an hour away from your jobs for a little bit. That's okay. I apologize for uh, the disaster that my three-year-old was. Hopefully it wasn't too much of a distraction, but it's all good fun. That made the pop more fun. You got to bring your kids on more often. No, no, not, yeah. not, not, not that one. Not that one. So, <laughs> all right. Wes, thank you, my guy. I appreciate you. Amari, take it away. All right. Again, big thanks to everybody for joining us this week. And then we have some big uh, guests coming up in the coming weeks with Keith Smith and some more draft talk as well. So, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, big thanks to our audio producer, Robert Chan, our executive producer, Andrew Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirk Crawford. Also, big shout out to Wes, as always. We'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.